I got my notes. I'm a singer. I'm used to following uh, chord charts and staffs. So if I get off my notes, it could get bad. Um, but anyway, I'm Ben. Um, we've been loosely connected, my wife and I, here at Beach Chapel for probably about five or six years. The week that we got married, actually, um, which is almost five years ago, I was leading Spiritual Awareness Week, and our wedding was on a Friday. And James said, could you lead the Friday morning session? I said, yeah, of course I could do that. And my fiance at the time looked at me and said, no, you're not leading the Friday morning session. We were getting married that evening. But uh, that was the first time we had, had been around Beaches Chapel. Um, I have a lot of friends who went through the school here, so I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to share. James had originally asked me to share my testimony, and I thought, well, I'm not really that much of an interesting person. Um, we're, not, we're not really going to get really far. And also, like, I don't do this. Like, I do this. You know, I'm used to, like, the music part of things. So if I get, like, too off the rails, like, I might go for 15 minutes or I might go for an hour. I don't know because I'm not, I'm not disciplined in it like, like he is. I said, if I talk about myself, like, where do I start, right? And I want to talk about myself. I want you guys to get to know our family as we're going to be around here through the end of the year, just as we're filling in for Valerie and stuff. Uh, so let me just keep it brief. My name's Ben, born and raised in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. Jacksonville is becoming a more transient society, right? Is anybody from Jacksonville Beach, right? Or Jacksonville, just give me a Jacksonville. Yeah, come on now. Now, how many of your friends and, you know, neighbors, I feel like more and more of a, like we're getting outnumbered. There's more people who are not from here. Anyway, so power to the locals. I love you. Uh, I grew up, um, I'm a twin, so commonly you're going to refer to me, or I'm going to refer, you're a twin too? Heck yeah, twin power. I actually knew you were a twin, I could tell. Um, you're going you're gonna to hear me say we a lot. Uh, when I say we, I could be talking about my wife or I could be talking about my brother. Now, if you are a twin, do you say we? Because you've always been with somebody, right? You've always had somebody next to you. Yep, thank you, right? My wife thinks I'm crazy. Um, I might say we. I might be referring to my wife or my uh, brother. You can interpret uh, depending on the story. Uh, we have two kids, Miles and Mac. They are over in uh, child care with Miss Vanessa, who is, uh, ironically was their preschool teacher too. They go to Beach Chapel Preschool. Um, my favorite food is probably tacos. If your favorite food is not tacos, check your heart. Um, my wife and I met while working at the Church of 1122. We were both on staff. She was a kids minister. I was really an intern. She was on staff. She was much cooler than I am. She ran a, a preschool ministry for the Church of 1122 when there was like more preschoolers than there are of you, right? That is a calling. I can't even deal with our kids sometimes and they're in preschool. Uh, we met while working there. It ended up working out. We got married. Um, and then at the start of 2020, Thanks to the help of this church, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit uh, later, we moved to Costa Rica to serve as full-time missionaries. Um, you guys generously supported us along with a couple other churches here in town, a lot of supporters that we had, uh, and then a little thing called COVID hit, and uh, we came back. So here we are, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Our family cheers for the Jaguars and the Florida Gators. It's a house divided. My wife says that she is a Georgia fan, but I'm rebuking that out of her um, because the Bulldogs are not the Lord's team. Anyway. Uh, if you want to meet my wife, she's my, my much better half. She's going to be down front. She threatened that she might not come today because she prefers James's preaching over mine, but she's here, so it worked out. But anyway, you know, this church has been through um, a lot in the last year or so, right, Don? There's been a lot going on. Your lead pastor leads with so much grace and so much, um, man, I, he leads so well. And he carries so, yeah, he carries so much he carries so much weight and stress, and his hair is slowly turning gray. That's your fault. Um, but uh, can we just for a second, as we give this time to the Lord, can we pray for him as we pray for our service? Let's pray. Father, we welcome you in this place. Holy Spirit, give us um, 
a fresh wind of teaching. Revive us anew. Open our hearts, God. Lord, we love you. Even, even though our love and our devotion to you might be weak, we thank you that you see it and that uh, it is beautiful in your eyes, God. We specifically pray for Pastor James right now in this moment. God, I honor the leader that you are forming him to be. I ask God that you would give him a fresh strength, a grace to run the race well, God. And on behalf of this church, we thank you for the gift that he is. I implore you and encourage you, church, pray for your pastor. We lift up his family. God, bless them abundantly. God, our hearts are open this morning. Teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's try to get through these notes. I wrote a lot, so bear with me. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you have a Bible, open it up. The scripture is going to be on the screen over here, over here in the Sky Bible. Um, but wait, that's what I call it to my kids. They love it, Sky Bible. Um, anyway, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole chapter of Samuel. And some of you just said, oh, here we go. My wife told me in the car last night, she said, you're not going to like read 28 verses of, of, of scripture. I said, actually, I am. So bear with me. Uh, I'm going to try to make it interesting. And then we're going to debrief the whole thing. And I promise, I really think God has something to say to us in this passage. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're picking up right at verse 1. Ready? If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're not ready, say hold up. You there? 1 Samuel chapter 1. Here we go. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. That means he's from Ephraim. He had two wives. One was called Hannah. The other was called Penina. We're going to call her Penny, by the way, because I don't like that way that sounds. We're just going to call her Penny. If you hear Penny, that's what I'm talking about. Penny had children, but Hannah had none. That's an important part. We'll come back to that. Year after year, somebody say year after year. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat, the meat that they sacrificed in the temple, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penny and all her sons and daughters. I told you I'm calling her Penny, so hold on. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, her rival, who actually is her sister wife, we'll get to that later, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. There's that year after year again. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Verse 9. When they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Also caught a Nazarite vow. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Excuse me. Eli thought she was drunk, that's awkward, and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put your wine away. Not so, my Lord, Hannah said. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul 
to the Lord. Anybody ever been there? Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Verse 19, almost there. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped the Lord and they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Amen. Amen. All right, let's debrief this. All right, we're in First, we're in first Samuel, okay? We kind of got to zoom out here because First Samuel fits in right after the book of Judges and Ruth. And if you know anything about ancient Israeli history, who's an Israeli scholar? Anybody in here? Okay. Um, you would know that, that, that the... The, the prior time before it would be, a, would be the time of the Judges. Anybody heard of the book of Judges? You've heard of the book of Judges? We like to teach the book of Judges in Sunday school, Deborah and Gideon and Samson, but let me just, the book of Judges is made up of awful leaders, people who are just, I mean, the worst of the worst, but yet God used them for his glory. That, is, that could be the message today. He'll use some of you. Um, but, but, but Samuel picks up, and it's sort, of like a, it's sort of like the start of a new era in Israel, right? You get to the end of the book of Judges. Um, Samson was the last judge. And the book of Judges covered about 300 years. From the time when Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, right, after he took over from, over from Moses. You guys tracking? Moses, Joshua, the, 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 the 300 years of Judges. And in those 300 years, the tribes of Israel are very scattered, very scattered, and they would, they would remember the Lord, they would follow the Lord, and then they would forget the Lord, and then God would raise up a judge, and then they would remember the Lord again, and then it'd be really good, they'd follow the Lord, and they'd forget, and then God would raise up a judge, and then they'd remember, and then they'd forget. You, you, you tracking? It's this constant circle of remembering and forgetting, sort of like our everyday life, like the hymn writer writes, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, right? And we get to the start of, is, of uh, 1 Samuel, and, and Samuel, in many ways, is like the final judge. He's like the final judge of Israel. And what we go on to see later in Samuel, between uh, chapters 8 and 10, is that the people of Israel actually ask God for a king. They're like, we're sick of this judges thing. Just give us a king, and let's, you know, let's sort all this out. And that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. There was a man named Elkanah. That's... that's that gives you a time frame as to when Samuel would arrive on the scene, right? You could go back and you could track uh, gene genealogically. Did I say that word right, Lori? You know genealogy, right? Yeah, I think I did. Um, you could track where Elkanah sort of fit in history. And it goes on to say he had two wives, which, first of all, I've never read a good story when a man had two wives. So I think we just know from the very top, there's something going on here. Does anybody have two wives in here? Don't raise your hand. One wife names was Penny. Remember we call her Penny? Penina, Penina. Nobody speaks Hebrew. Come on, Penny. Does anybody speak Hebrew? Sorry. Penny, which means pearl, right? Or, or, or diamond in the eye of the beholder. And Hannah, which means favor, which I, I think is so beautiful in this story. Uh, and Penny had a whole slew of kids, right? A whole slew. I think they called her pregnant Penny all the time. You just, just looked at her and like, oh, Penny's pregnant again. Penny, you want a drink? No, I'm pregnant. I can't. Penny, you want a cup of coffee? No, I can't exceed my caffeine. Penny was always pregnant. And I think actually when Elkanah later on in the story says, am I not more to you than 10 sons? I actually believe she could have had 10 sons. I don't think it was just, I don't think he just pulled a number down. I think he, she could have actually had 10 sons. And the story says, and she had daughters, 
That's a whole lot of kids. Does anybody have more than 10 kids, by the way? Yeah, good. Whew, that'd be a lot. We have two, and I'm like, good Lord, I can't keep my head straight. Um, but anyway, the, the story tells us that they would go year after year, they would go up to worship the Lord. They would go to the temple, meaning they were, that, that, that Elkanah was a godly man leading his family in the ways of God. Year after year, they would go up to sacrifice to the Lord. Remember, in this atonement system of your relationship with God, it required a sacrifice to be made right in the eyes of God. So you would go to the temple, you'd bring your spices and your meat and your, and your, and your offerings, and you would lay it on the temple. And, and, and the sacrifice would be consumed. And that's why when it says uh, that Hannah and Penny got a, got a portion of it, that's actually the sacrifice that the, their husband would give them. Anyway, um, and that year after year point, the, I think theologians differ on just how long it could be. But I, I sort of landed in that it's about 15 to 19 years. Think about this, 15 to 19 years where they would go over and over and over again before we even reach the story, Right? Every single year they would go do this. Every single year. And if you, if you think about ancient Israel history, women would get married younger. I mean, in ancient history, women would typically get married younger. So after about 15 to 19 years, it wouldn't be wild for them to go up after 15 to 19 years and for Hannah to still pray for a kid because she'd probably be, what, in her early to mid-30s? She could still have, still have a kid. And I believe that, that, that every year they went up, I believe she prayed this prayer every single year. And I think she prayed it in the days between, right? Because it told her, or, or the, the scripture tells us that she would be provoked and irritated. She had to live with this other woman. Do you think she only prayed in this one case? No, she prayed day after day for a son or a child. This is just the one where it took, I think. So anyway, they went up year after year. It says Elkanah loved her because or and the Lord had closed her womb. I think that that little, that, that word and right there, the he would give her a double portion because he loved her and the Lord closed her womb. Meaning, I think being the godly man he was, Elkanah knew and, 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 and Hannah knew that whatever reason it, it was from God, her womb was closed. And I don't know what that does to your theology. I don't know what it does to your, your, your viewpoint of God that he would close the womb of a woman who was desperate to have a child. But in this story, I believe that he's going to turn and he's going to use it for his glory, right? I think if you were a student in ancient Israel, your ears would perk up when you read in 1 Samuel, you read that the Lord had closed her womb. Because I believe you would have looked back to the Exodus when God tells us that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. God has a mysterious way of working, right? And what happened in the Exodus? God hardens Pharaoh's heart and the plagues came. And what happens? The Exodus from the slavery in Egypt to the promised land. He used the hardening of Pharaoh's heart for his glory. I believe in the same way that he's going to use the closing of Hannah's womb for his glory. For his glory and for his good. But something I couldn't get over in, in, in reading this scripture is, is back to that double portion thing. Think about every year she would go and she would get a double portion of the sacrifice. And I believe that she would get that double portion. And yes, the scripture tells us that Elkanah loved his wife, but it also tells us that he gave her that double portion of the sacrifice because why? Because the Lord had closed her womb. I think she'd get that double portion. You know, she'd compile it on the table, not that she needs all this food and she would be reminded of her ailment. He'd be re she'd be reminded of the crippling thing that she couldn't get over. She'd be reminded of the thing that she was plagued with. What, 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 what is it about our world and about I mean, even the writings of the Bible, 
where we're so quick to identify people with their shortcomings. Have you ever thought about that? What do we call Thomas in the Bible? Doubting Tom. Have you ever doubted? I should call you Doubting Don. It sounds better than Doubting Thomas, right? It's good, good with you? Cool. What is it about that, though? Doubting Thomas, the man born blind? We don't even know his name. Imagine bumping into him at Publix and being like, hey, that's the man who was born blind. He'd be like, bro, I'm not blind anymore. Like, I can see, right? But they never give us a name. What about the woman with the issue of bleeding? The man with leprosy? Why, why are we so quick? Why are we so quick to identify people based on the thing that cripples them? Oh, the stories in this room. Alcoholic Adam, right? Drug dealer Dan. Just keep going through the whole thing, right? We don't call you that. We don't call you bipolar Ben. But why do we do that in our society? Why do, why do, why do people do that, right? I found it quite profound. But anyway, I do believe that even though we identify Hannah as the woman whose womb was closed, that God is going to use it for his glory. You ever feel like God's plans don't make sense? You ever feel like, um, you know, you're on a, you're on a detour that just never ends sometimes? You ever feel like maybe uh, that, that promotion you thought you were going to get didn't work out or that job you took or that person you married or that, you know, that child you had, you didn't, it's not quite the plan that you had. I think Hannah could identify with all of us in this, that she would get married at a young age. She would be with a manly or a, a godly man, and yet God would not bless her with children. But I don't think barrenness of the womb is the only type of barrenness that we deal with sometimes. And I think if we all really took a step back, we would know or we would see we got some things in our life that feel pretty bare. And if you think about the word barren, it really means not reaping, right? I'm not saying you're not sowing. The Bible says you reap what you sow, but it's not reaping, right? We, we, we at the start of 2020, like I said, we left on a plane with 25 suitcases, our two kids, um, and we went to Costa Rica after about a year and a half of preparation and a year and a half where we left our jobs, we left stability. We moved in with my mom Love you, Mom. Living with your parents can be difficult. Making very little money can be difficult. But we thought, sure, sure enough, this, has God not called us, right? Has God not told us that he would provide and he would, and he would send us to Costa Rica? Sure, yeah, we believed it. And he provided everything. He provided absolutely everything down to the last penny that we needed, a six-figure amount. And he's like, oh, that's pocket change for me. I got you. And we went. We loaded up, and sure enough, four months later, we're on a flight back because this thing called COVID happened, and now I'm not egotistical enough to believe that COVID happened because Ben and Dakota needed to put a fork in their plans to come back from Costa Rica to learn how to trust the Lord again. Obviously, COVID hit the entire world, and I think if we really went story by story, we could stay here all day, and you could tell me about how, the Lord, how plans changed over the last couple of years, right? how things didn't go necessarily according to plan, am I right? How you might feel a little bit bare, you might feel like you're on a little bit of a detour, you might feel like there was a little bit of a bait and switch getting into 2020. And I don't know about you, but I'm still processing 2020 and we're almost in 2022. That's wild, first of all. Anyway. And you kind, of, you, you, you kind of get at a loss for words. We're, we're coming back, we're on the airplane, we have four or five suitcases with us, right, Coates? four or five suitcases with us. We left the other 20 at the church. 
in the most hot, humid place in the world. It's like an armpit there. And we're just, we just leave our stuff in the church, open-air church. And we're like, you know what? We'll be back in six weeks. Well, six weeks go by, and then eight weeks go by, and then 12 weeks go by, and then six months, and then eight months, and then a year. We started parting ways with some of the stuff. I gave my bike away. That was a pretty hard one. Gave my, I had to buy this sweet bike in Costa Rica. Oh, God, loved it. Gave that away. Our clothes, we gave those away so they didn't just rot in boxes. We're, 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 we're stuck back, and about this time last year, Dakota started having these random seizure episodes where she, where she would just hit the ground, lose control of her body. One time I was at work, and I got a call from our good friend Stephanie, and, and, and she said, and, and she said, um, have you talked to Dakota? And I said, no, I, ha- you know, I hadn't. And Dakota had called her. Think about getting this call at work. She had passed out on the ground, and her phone was within an arm's reach, but she couldn't move her arm to get it. She was on the ground. She drags herself to the door. She gets the phone. She calls Stephanie, tries to call me. I'm at work. I didn't get the call. And I go home, and JSO's taking her away. Robbie took her away, Robbie Delaney took her to the hospital. He texts me, hey, I just left your wife. She's okay. She had a seizure. These random things started happening, man. And uh, you start to ask yourself, this isn't what I signed up for, right? This is not what I signed up for. And things feel a little bit bare, right? Did 2020 feel a little bit bare for you as well? And we're stuck here and we're trying to figure out, God, we thought you spoke to us. And the same way that I believe Hannah said, I thought this was the right move for me to marry this man and build a family. And it wasn't necessarily going according to plan. And you ask, how could God allow this? And to make it worse in the story of Hannah, she has a sister wife that's gonna rub it into her over and over and over and over again. Penny would say over and over again, you're broken, you're barren, something is wrong with you. And the thing that the world identified her as, her barrenness, would become her biggest source of insecurity and shame and irritation and condemnation. There are some people in your lives and there are some influences in your life that only identify the things that are wrong with you, the things that are broken with you, your barrenness. And that is the voice of the enemy straight from the pit of hell because that's not what God says about you. And some of you need to cut some of those voices out of your life. You're not broken and you're not barren. You're not emotionally unstable. You're not, you're not an anxious person, a depressed person, right? You're not, you're not, you're not stuck, you know, 10 years ago trying to figure, no, God, God's truth would say that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. That you are a masterpiece knit together in your mother's womb. And you were born at such a time as this in his grand plan for the kingdom. And sometimes we let those voices get to us too much. But yet I still believe and I still struggle because I believe in the same way that Hannah's story was for the glory of God that ours would be too. And that even when the plan didn't go like we thought, that God's still gonna use it and bring beauty from ashes, right? And joy from mourning, right? Let's keep going. Hannah decides to pray at a crucial moment in her story. She decides to pray again for a child. Like I said earlier, do you think this was the first time this woman had prayed? Do you think this is the first time this woman had got on her knees and asked God for a son 
or a daughter. No, 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 no. But she didn't lose sight. And if I could, and if I could have gone back all those years, 15, 18, 19, 20 years, however long it was, I'd say, Hannah, don't give up because God is going to do something with your brokenness and your barrenness in this story. And sure, people would probably tell her she's crazy. They'd probably tell you you're crazy, but look, I'd rather be crazy in the eyes of man and completely enamored in the trust and faithfulness of my God. And there's something to that. So she prays. And we see even amidst her pain, amidst her long-standing barrenness, she doesn't lean away from God. She leans into God. How many for you the last two years, almost two, four years, have you leaned away from God? If I'm being completely honest, during the year of COVID, I would have liked to say, while still collecting support from this church included, from many supporters around the world, that we leaned into God and the uncertainty, but I didn't. My wife did. She's a lot better than I am. But uh, no, I leaned into fear and anxiety. I leaned into alcohol. I leaned, I didn't take care of myself. How many of us share that? And look, I'm just being completely honest. I mean, I've, I mean, I got nothing to hide, but when the plan doesn't go like you thought it would, do you lean in or do you lean out? We see that Hannah, she leaned into God and she had the audacity to believe in the goodness and the faithfulness of God, even when circumstances would scream something different. They'd say, surely it's been 15 years. He, he, he forgot you long ago. And her prayer was, remember me, and he did. And people thought she was crazy, man. Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. She thought she, he, 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 he literally says, put down your wine and beer. Thanks, pastor. Appreciate that, right? Have you ever prayed something so wild, so out of left field, that people think you're drunk? Some of you may have been. That's a different sermon. But um, we're, we're going to keep going. When we were raising support and preparing to move for Costa, people thought we were crazy, man. Everyone's got an opinion, right? Everyone's got, you ever got married? Everyone's got an opinion, right? You ever taken a new job? Everyone's got an opinion. You ever had a kid trying to name it? Everybody's got an opinion. Yeah, right? And look, people were like, dude, you're crazy. You're going to ruin your family. And I look at them and be like, bro, we're not moving to North Korea. We're moving to Costa Rica, like, you know, Pura Vida, right? God, dude, you're crazy asking people for all that money. I'm like, yeah, but to God, really? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Give me a break. What's $100,000? Give me a break. We, leaved our, you know, we left our jobs to go to a training in Colorado Springs, which is an incredible mission training, $10,000. That's a waste of money. Yeah, sure, whatever. I count, I count the cost. I don't, I don't analyze anything else. We've counted the cost. God, here, here we are. We needed a house just two months before moving. God provided it. People will think you're crazy, but if you think I'm drunk in the perceptions of man, and yet I'm enamored in the faithfulness of God, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But let's not forget, God uses this story for his glory. Let's keep going. Hannah asks for a son, and God gives it to her. She prays. She leans into God. And this son would be none other than Samuel himself, the namesake of the book, right? Right? And what did it say? Because God remembered. God gave, right? And Samuel would be the, the priest, the prophet, and final judge of Israel, like we said, who would then go on to anoint the first king. And Samuel entering the pages of Scripture is crucial in the story of salvation. You see, in Israel, you didn't vote in local elections to determine who would become king, right? Or who would become priest or who would become prophet. 
No, it was a, it, they didn't have a Congress or a Senate or a 10th or 12th Amendment to determine, you know, state elect, you know, how, you know, how we vote, all that, all, all, all that kind of stuff. They were a church state. Church is a poor word. They were really, they were a religious state, meaning the policies that were created up here were from the word of God itself. And the policies they, you know, they, they, they lived with every day, maybe not directly from the word of God, were from an interpretation of the word of God. They lived, they were God's people. So God would have to raise up a prophet to anoint a king to then appoint the king. Do you see how we kind of work backwards and we realize, wait a sec, that prayer that Hannah prayed was not insignificant. And in her barrenness, she decided to lean into God and pray and God gave Israel a prophet. And then when Israel would ask for a king, Samuel would be able to anoint the king. And then you keep going and you look and it, uh, Saul becomes the first king that, that, that Samuel anoints. And then Saul messed up really big. And you probably know that story. Maybe we can preach that another time. And then who would be the next king after Saul? David, the man after God's own heart, who would rule Israel for 40 years. He would unite those 12 tribes that the judges tried to haphazardly rule and oversee, right? And Samuel would anoint this kid at 16 years old to be king of Israel. He would trust in God's plan, but then he would restore Israel and rule it in a way and in a manner that honored God. And then, and then if you just keep going a little bit further, 14 generations later, who arrives on the scene from the shoot of Jesse, the root of David, Jesus himself. So wait a second, you're telling me, you're telling me that a woman prayed in her barrenness in 1105 BC and a thousand years later, Christ arrives on the scene. And you're telling me that this story is insignificant or that maybe her prayer was insignificant or maybe she was crazy, you're drunk, put down your beer and wine, surely God's not listening to you. No, a thousand years later, even when she wouldn't see the fruit, God would use her prayer. She would, he would use her prayer to initiate salvation in a way where he would restore your right standing with God. Do not neglect the prayers that you pray in your barrenness when you feel broken, when you have nothing left, when you're in anguish. Because sure enough, 14 generations after David, Christ himself, who is considered equality with God, not something to be grasped. Cassie, you can come pad and make it feel really nice. Christ would not consider equality with God something to be grasped in Philippians 2, but he would pour himself out as a sacrifice. The rich became the poor. The son of God became man so that men could become sons of God and it would change everything because this woman, I believe, 1,100 years before decided to get on her knees and pray. What would our society be without the prayers and some broken and in anguish moms? What would our society be without people? What would the plan and, and, and purpose and work of God be without some people getting on their knees when it didn't make sense? And you thought maybe you'd give up on that, on that son of yours who ran away. Or maybe you thought you'd never have resolve from that hurt years ago. Or maybe you never actually thought you'd have kids and you were infertile. What do we do? The prayers of a barren woman who didn't persist, who didn't give up, who didn't settle, who didn't hold back, but she leaned in. She leaned into God not away from God, man, you can go ahead and come up. 
she leaned into God and she would later pray, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies. Who was her enemy, remember? Her enemy was the sister wife. For I delight in your deliverance. There was no one like the Lord. There was no one beside you. There was no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. Do you think she was talking to the sister wife? She's talking to good old pregnant Penny. Because God had provided. God had provided. The bows of my warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. Just a chapter later, and she's got seven kids. The number of completion, a holy number. You don't think God used it for his glory. You don't think that in her barrenness, and the years and years and years of hurt and pain and irritation and anguish and envy, he would turn it and use it for his good. I don't know, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you've walked through. I'd, I'd like to, if you, if you wanna get together, I'd love to hear your story. Surely we can relate. We can all relate. And in one way or another, there's an area of your life where you might not feel like the fruit of God is abundant, right? You might feel dry in some areas or lost in some areas. You might feel like God has turned away and forgotten you, but I promise he has not. The Bible tells us that his goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. And when the sun rose out there this morning, new mercy came with it. And you woke up this morning and life and breath filled the room that you were in breath came out of your lungs, which means he's not done working. And that hopeless situation isn't quite, isn't quite done yet. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to go back and do a time of worship and I want to invite any pastors, elders, deacons, whatever prayer team, whatever we do here to come down front. If, if you feel led to pray this morning, remember that hope is not, is not gone. And God is not far and he's not distant. And surely the broken and barren situation he will use for his glory, amen? And surely the thing that has been ailing you and the thing that the world wants to identify you as is not the end. It's not your identity, right? Would you lift your hands with me? Father, here we are, hearts wide open before you, God. Teach us to trust again, God. Teach us to lean in when the plan doesn't make sense. Help us in our brokenness and in our barrenness, lean in to you like Hannah did and prayed all those years ago. Do not forget your servant. Do not turn your face from us, Lord. Here we are, hearts wide open. Hearts wide open. We thank you for the pruning that Hebrews tells us is evidence that he is a good father and he is pruning things in your life. We thank you for that. But God, in the areas where there is no life, there is no fruit, where things have run dry, fill us afresh again. Spirit of the living God, fill us afresh again. Let your wind blow through our lungs. 
Let life come from dead, hopeless, helpless situations. God, let the prodigals come home. Let the sick be healed. God, let relationships be restored. God, only you can do it, Father. Only you can do it. Do not neglect the prayers that you pray in bitterness for God will bring forth a harvest and fruit, even if you don't see it in your lifetime. Let's worship.